Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles Podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food. My guest today is Ki Shi Hui, who is the Singaporean behind Tapao Girl. And since 2017, she has been posting regularly on Instagram to demonstrate how we can aspire to a more environmentally conscious lifestyle within the context of Singapore. So I've invited her to join me on the podcast to share about how we can all be more sustainable in our lives, not just as eaters, but also as cooks. So this is one of my favorite podcast episodes of the year, and I really hope that you'll enjoy listening to it. I know that recently you have been on this vegetarian challenge. Feeling terribly though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think you know it's it's an uphill battle for a lot of us. Like for myself also, I'm trying to eat less meat. But yeah, I'm very interested to know, um, you know, where exactly did this environmental consciousness come from for you? I mean, were you always very environmentally minded when you were growing up? I'm really ashamed to say that that wasn't true. So I think um, the awareness, the awareness grew when I started diving. So on dive trips, sometimes we will see lots of trash floating about, and um, there were also times where we saw ghost nets. So sometimes we could um, stop to cut out the nets and bring it to the surface. Uh, but the real the real root shock came when, in 2017, there was an Australian news article that said that the Great Barrier Reef was damaged beyond repair. And I think that was a big root shock, in the sense that the formation is thousands of years old. So it's really unbelievable to, to imagine that human beings could have, through our actions, um, yeah, destroyed it within a short few decades. Mm. I think that was when... I started in earnest to be very mindful about what my actions are, what I was putting into the environment, and how I could live in a way that is not so impactful to the environment. Mm. And was this in your school days? No, man. <laughs> um, in 2017, oh my goodness, some quick math. <laughs> Moments later, <laughs> I was 35 when oh. I had the rude awakening. Okay. Yeah. Like usually, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of us, we are very attuned to all these facts, right? Like, you know, through the media or through what we hear in the news. Um, but I guess a lot of us are quite desensitized to it. Or like, you know, a lot of us, we feel that, um, you know, the individual's actions an impact can be quite minute. So how did you get over that hurdle? I think in the beginning, I was really enthusiastic about what a single person could do. And that's what the Instagram account was about. It was really about keeping tabs on myself. Yeah. Um, I'm an engineer by training. So having some data and evidence is what I felt was logical to begin to understand my own impact and to track it. Mm -hmm. And... At the end of the first year, I remember being really excited about, um, I can't even remember how many plastic and disposable items I avoided, but I think it was more than a, a thousand. Yeah. I think 
it then suddenly dawned on me that even if I could avoid a thousand items, um, F&B outlets go through that in a single day. Exactly, yeah. And that's when I realized that many, many people have to make a commitment to the environment. Mm. Um, and that would be what would create the shift in, in mm. industry, in governments, looking at the problem more seriously. Yeah. So when you first created your account, Tapau Girl, was it out of an act of activism? Did you see it as activism or was it just a documentation of your day-to-day living? Um, I had started on Facebook actually and being um, a tech swaku, <laughs> I had no Instagram account for a very long time. Yeah. And a friend of mine saw the daily journaling on Facebook and said that, hey, if you're on Facebook and your account is set to friends only, then very few people are going to learn about what you're doing if you feel compelled to talk to more people about um, their environmental impact. So he suggested that I try Instagram, which I finally did. Mm. And it was started with the intention of figuring out how to talk to other people in ways that are welcoming, in ways that are not um, so confrontational, and Mm. in ways that would invite a deeper conversation. Mm. And how often was that like a two-way conversation? I think when I think back to 2017 until now, I feel that the two-way conversations are happening a lot more now. And that's really wonderful. The conversations um, come from really interesting perspectives as well. So in the beginning, I had moms asking me if I need to diaper my child, what are you going to do about it? And I would then think, oh dear, you know, I'm not at that stage of life yet. So I asked some of my mom friends on the on 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 these questions and, and we'll be like, oh yeah, what do we do about this? And I think in all of the conversations, I try to come from a space of having tried something myself. Hmm. Having um and only commenting if I had done it myself. Hmm. And that is a more meaningful conversation than a more theoretical one, I feel. Hmm. And from your interactions with these people on your social media channels, do you feel um, that Singaporeans, you know, do care deeply about the environment? The ones that <laughs> care do. The ones that care have been doing a lot of wonderful work in terms of trying to help the people around them understand. Hmm. So, of course, you have... Um, um, people who have been doing this for a really long time, like the Singapore Nature Society, yeah. they've been around um, talking about the Cross Island Line, what's going to happen when, you know, we try to develop that. They've been, they've been involved in conversations around golf courses, around other types of development in Singapore. And that's been really amazing. Yeah, um, there are a lot of younger um, younger advocates like the Weird and Wild, like Earth to Dockers, like um, BYO Bottle, uh, like a Tiny Warrior. Um, it's really cool to see all these accounts each focusing on a different aspect of sustainability. Mm. Um, there are more Singaporeans that are beginning to get curious and sometimes the curiosity comes in from different ways. Mm. When you look at um, the fashion pulpit, for example, it's a swapping, clothes swapping platform. Mm-hmm. And people that care about fashion might enter the sustainability conversation through that route. Yeah. People who care about health, um, 
you know, you could talk to them about, hey, you know, all that plastic, all the disposables, hot food, mm, bad idea. So I do think there are many different entryways that will allow Singaporeans to become interested. Hmm. I'm quite curious because, um, you know, a lot of people say that the younger generation, like the millennials or the Gen Zs, are the ones who care deeply about um, the environment, whereas people from, say, the boomer generation might be more apathetic. But I find it interesting because um, the older generation are the ones that grew up with a huge sense of frugality, you know, that ki- that kind of informs their cooking. So do you feel that age really you know, factors into the equation when it comes to talking about sustainability and caring for the environment? Um, Age may not be the sole factor. Mm. I do think many factors impact um, your interest and exposure to sustainability issues. Yeah. Um, There are the stalwarts, um, the pioneer researchers and advocates that have been around for a very long time. They started a lot of... um, environmental and nature-based research in Singapore. They also come from generations Mm. where maybe the advocacy is less understood because it's not so well documented. Yeah. Um, I remember my own grandmother being very unwilling to waste or to buy new things. Yeah. But perhaps there is a period of time in Singapore's development where we felt that the ability to afford more things and new things is tied to our success, is tied to how well we are doing. And that maybe would have created some shifts in the way people think about spending and consuming. Mm. And in your in your interactions, have you come across any misconceptions about, you know, caring for the environment? Because I, I think now it's very hit to say that you care about sustainability and all that, but how much do we really know? Like, for example, some of my friends, they feel that, Oh, as long as you throw something into into the recycling bin, you know, it considers as caring for the environment no matter how much you throw into the recycling bin. And you know that that's not true, right? So what are some of the misconceptions that you have come across? Um, a question that I get asked a lot is, doesn't it waste more resources to wash your tapao gongs rather than to take a disposable? So that's when we can talk about the amazing global supply chain, you know, mm-hmm. where your disposables get manufactured. Um, what, what are the resources, the energy, the water, all of that goes into producing your disposables, then it gets sent from the factory to the F&B shop. And when you help somebody understand the life journey that the disposable takes, suddenly the amount of resources that I spend um on washing my gong becomes diminishing comparison. Mm. A lot of it is helping someone see how do the issues affect me and how do I understand parts of the journey where um, I may not have clarity about as a consumer. Yeah. Mm. So that's a first myth. The second myth is that my life is very joyless. <laughs> Oh no, you know, you have to think about the container, you have to think about whether you can eat this, not eat this, whether you can buy a new set of clothing for for Chinese New Year, whether you can um, whether you can go shopping, whether you can order delivery. Um, I think that's um, a really interesting question because our life is the way we design it. Mm. And I think what has been unquestioned is the idea that oh acquiring new things will bring us joy but 
in fact, when, I mean, if you look at the minimalism movement, yeah. when you strip away all the things that we acquire, um, focusing on experiences can be very joyful. Mindful eating can be very joyful. And in being very intentional about uh, what I consume, it also, in a way, helps me to appreciate what I eat or buy. Yeah. You also get to save a lot of money in the process. <laughs> yeah. And, and so when your platform first started on Instagram, um, did you start bringing your tapa boxes to the hawker centers and wherever you went to, you know, collect lef- leftovers? Um, I had started with the tapa boxes first and then taken the photos as an intentional journaling process of like, oh, you know, today I avoid this thing and that thing. And I haven't been as adventurous as some people to like eat leftovers from strangers in the hawker center. But I think one thing that I tried once, which I found really fascinating, is the idea of freeganism. I followed um, the freegan group in Singapore on one of their little India rescue trips yeah. and I it was it was really appalling how much good food was being thrown away mm. that that took the the tapau um, entry point of sustainability to another level which is thinking about what are the systemic uh, losses that happen at the larger logistics structures in Singapore mm. yeah yeah I, I think something that makes this whole situation of wanting to do better for the environment, more complicated, is something that you mentioned on your Instagram. And that is the intertwined nature of our culture and our heritage, as well as some of the practices that might might not be that great for the environment. So I think, um, you know, just now when you were talking about freeganism, I thought of this article that I read about um, for Hungry Ghost Festival where, you know, a lot of people will, will leave um, the offerings out on the roadside and all these freegans will actually go and take um, and, and, you know, salvage it. Um, but, you know, festivals like Hungry Ghost Festival, it generates a lot of waste, right? A lot of burning, uh, a lot of um, food not eaten by the roadside. Um, and previously, you also wrote about um, the culture of gifting mooncakes in very elaborate boxes on your Instagram. So how do you reconcile your own heritage as a Singaporean Chinese with uh, your desire to do better for the environment? Some of the practices that we have inherited today had a very relevant cultural context back in the day. So back in the day, where we are not buying new clothes every other day, um, in those generations where most people were not so well-to-do. So buying new clothes at Chinese New Year uh, was what you did because those are the new sets of clothes that you are going to have for the entire year. So in light of that context, that practice makes sense. Um, In terms of the Mid-Autumn Festival, Mm. I do think that the way it has developed is as much as how the rest of society develops in terms of the way we think about um, our buying power. So I remember once upon a time, very, very long ago, mooncakes did not always come in such fancy packaging. You could go to the bakery, you could point out what you like. And, yeah, yeah. And that I was, remember. 
<laughs> yeah. But recently, um, the mooncake buying and gifting has become a sort of arms race. Hmm. And when I think about um, another cultural, uh, another festival like the Hungry Ghost um, Festival, I think the waste that happens there is much less than the waste that happens at a very structural systemic level when food gets imported into Singapore, when it goes to the wholesalers, from the wholesalers and it gets distributed to the supermarkets. Waste at those levels happens at a much larger scale, but because it's all commercial operations, it's not something that consumers think about or even are aware of. So for example, by the time you go to your supermarket, they would have filtered away some of the ugly produce that the wholesalers sent them. Mm. At the end of the night, um, when food, fresh food has expired, they need to throw it away. They have to get rid of all of that. That's all the stuff that happens behind the scenes that the consumers may not think about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I I recently saw this post uh, on your Instagram. Okay, it was a while back. I was actually going through your Instagram post and it was about your wedding day and you talked about how you faced a lot of pre- um, internal pressure that you placed on yourself um, you know, to have all these wonderful things like balloons and, you know, um, props. Um, but in the end, you decided to do away with them and you said there was quite a difficult process for you. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think like many women, some of us have some vision of what our wedding day could be like. Mm. And when I actually had to make those decisions, those decisions, it was about sitting down and thinking about how essential all the extra items really were. Yeah. Um, and if I started from the heart of it, which is two people coming together to want to commit to each other for the rest of their lives, then many things are non-essential. Mm. Um, the decorations will be used for a very short time. Those yeah. are non-essential. Um, wedding, uh, wedding flowers that you know uh, would also only be used for a very short time. Mm. That also became less essential. Yeah, and the process of stripping things out was quite challenging. But it was a conversation that allowed me and my husband and then fiance to think about what was truly important in a wedding. So, you know, when you go to um, some weddings, you get a really nice program booklet with a lot of um, stories and photos. We decided, okay, never mind, we can do a website. Yeah. And that also helps us to cut down on the waste. Mm. So, there was a lot of thinking and sourcing. So, yeah. for example, when we spoke with our coffee vendor, um, we asked them about um, bringing in proper ceramic cups and glass cups oh wow um and it was really interesting because many of the coffee vendors that i spoke with one of the specialties is that oh you know they tell you like this is a specially designed um disposable which will be stamped with your wedding logo which we can design for you and that's additional service which i can imagine in the context of branding and marketing yeah it's actually very attractive right to have your very own visuals, customized for your own wedding. I get how special it it makes somebody feel. Mm. So then it is then about weighing which value is more important to us as we prepare for the wedding. Mm. And that became 
um, very meaningful because we also talked about our decisions with our friends, the people around us, like, hey, you know, do you think it's weird that you're not going to get this, like, wedding favor that you might just, like, park somewhere and not use it again. So mm. we decided to buy uh, little jars of honey yeah. from the Mines Bake Shop. And Mines um, provides a lot of work opportunities for people with special needs. So it's about thinking where can we go to make the wedding even more meaningful if we took a step away from what are the um, existing options available out there. Mm, that's so true. I, I think, you know, Lex and I, we recently, well, not so recent, I think one or two years ago, we had our wedding. And I think that was something that we wanted to do away with, like all the props. Because I just thought that it was so wasteful to just, you know, you know, first of all, you're spending so much time making these things that you're just going to use for one night and throw away. And like, there's no longevity for, for any of that. Um, but something that um, we, we really wanted to do but couldn't implement was going meatless for the wedding. Because I feel that... Um, you know, meat eating definitely can lower your carbon footprint, right? But the thing is, it's so difficult in Singapore because meat is so symbolic. Mm. What, what was your thought process on that? I think we tried to explain to um, some relatives that cared very much for things like shark's fish. Yes. <laughs> we took that off the menu. Mm. We tried to explain as best as we could. So not everybody would understand. Yeah. But I think we tried to stay true to, you know, at least that. Um, it was not possible to omit meat from the entire menu. Mm. And I think what we tried to do was to discuss options with um, the restaurant. So they always presented us options and we tried to see what are some of the essentials that we need to keep because it's quite symbolic um, in the Peranakan culture. Um, where oh. my husband comes from okay. so you know if we do away with the bakalwak chicken it's like a real travesty right like how can you not have bakalwak so then it was a negotiation of oh okay what what do we keep and then what do we try to substitute for hmm yeah I think that whole idea of seeking a compromise is very important because I feel that like for example you know, Wax and I, we both had, had things that we felt very strongly about. But, you mm. know, maybe our loved ones felt very strongly the other way. And it becomes, you know, this battle of, oh, is it, is it you know, my values? Or is it, you know, for the sake of harmony, you, you, you know, I, I think it's so difficult. I think everybody's balance point will be slightly different. Mm. And it's important that the discussion or the negotiation or that exploration process takes place because then we um, we get to, you know, talk to one another about what really matters to each of us. Yeah. Yeah. And if we had been very, um, I don't know, hardline or extremist about it, I think it would have alienated people in the process too. Mm. That, um, that would not that would not be a good situation. Mm. Yeah. And on your Instagram, I think you described yourself as someone who lives to eat. I found that very refreshing because I feel that a lot of um, people who <laughs> adopt like a vegetarian diet or try to go meatless, 
you know, sometimes I see them eating like rabbit food and I think to myself, I could never do that, you know, because I'm someone who loves food so much. Um, and I think that was why for the longest time I was resisting um, even being like a part-time vegetarian or part-time vegan. So can you tell me like, um, was it difficult being uh, like trying to reduce your meat intake in general? It was really hard. It still is really difficult. Um, yeah. People always ask me, oh, isn't it hard to remember to bring all your tapau things every day, everywhere? And I said, that wasn't difficult. Yeah. But what I'm finding really difficult is how to win myself to eat less meat because I'm discovering that food is very comforting and emotional for me. Mm, yeah. um, ice cream is comfort food. Cakes filled with cream are comfort food. Fried chicken is comfort food. Oh my God, yeah. And steak is a celebratory meal. So there are a lot of things that um, in, in, in growing up or in popular culture, that's a type of food is associated with a certain kind of event or or emotion and then having to constantly rethink about the new choices that I have to make so that I can be a bit more aligned with the values that are now becoming more important to me that takes work so I'm not going to say that oh you know that's very easy it's very difficult for me but I do know of people who one day feel like okay yeah I'm not gonna eat me anymore and the next day bam, they do it which I feel is really remarkable but that's not the way I can be like yeah yeah, you know, so much of what you say is so true because especially in Singapore, like all these, um, you know, especially with festivals like Pa Chang, right? You know, you have your glutinous rice dumpling stuffed with pork belly. It's like, you know, if I were to eat a vegan version of that or like just remove it from my diet for the sake of the environment, I think I would find it, find it hard to, you know, reconcile my own identity as a Singaporean with, with, environmentalism the interesting thing is that as more of us care about um, environmental sustainability new offerings are being created recently um, a teammate of mine brought me a really delicious vegan bazang really magic eh? the bazang looks like the traditional hokkien bazang that i've eaten growing up but inside there was like meat was the omni meat. Okay. There was the mushroom. I mean, yeah. there are no dried oysters or like dried shrimp anymore. Too bad. But the overall compromise was really not bad at all. I was really impressed. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So it's possible because I guess it took someone who is wanting to turn vegetarian or vegan and someone who's very passionate about their culture to think about, wow, if I make some vegan parts, I'm confirmed got somebody come and buy Mm, true but you know on that same note i've been quite skeptical about this whole impossible meats omni meat trend that's been going on uh, because you know you don't know how much resources it takes to produce that um, and i think i read an article saying that you know sometimes it might cost even more or like equal amount of resources to produce that as compared to meat um, but something that I don't see people doing in Singapore very much is celebrating vegetables for what they are. Do you feel the same? Mm, I think that different cultures do it differently. Mm. So, for example, I think that 
um, Indian food is really remarkable in that the vegetables are celebrated in their wonderful glory and flavors and textures. Yeah. Um, in Chinese vegetarian food, I tend to find that there's a lot of um, replacement items, a lot of items that are deep fried to provide the texture and the flavor. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess that's something that we have to learn how to, although maybe it's an unfair blanket statement because I love Le Cha and Le Cha celebrates all the, you know, wonderful vegetables in their amazing flavor combinations. So perhaps it's seeking out different cultures and hmm. remembering what they do. Yeah. Right? I love what you're saying because I feel that for so long people have seen vegetarianism and veganism as this Western trend when actually there's so much to tap into if you think about like Asia's history with vegetables and with veganism or vegetarianism. Like just a while ago I was, you know, researching about um hungry ghost festival food. Like sometimes in the in the temples they would serve vegetarian food. And uh, it's very intricate. Like uh, they would use gluten and like shape it into, you know, tasu, like what you get with your vegetarian bihun, right? And I think it's such a such an art form, you know. And it's so tragic that it's not like there hasn't been a spotlight on this craft yet in Singapore, at least. Many traditional foods are actually built on foundation elements of vegetables, like abacus seeds are made from yam. Yes. There is, you know, carrot cake that's made from radish. Mm. Is, you know, there, there are a lot of wonderful things that we actually eat yeah. that for vegetables. So was that something that you discovered on your journey of, um, you know, adopting this vegetarian challenge for yourself? Mm, I think it was a really interesting reminder that vegetarian food is not just the grain bowls or the more um, you know stock photos when you type like stock photos vegetarian food it's very interesting what you get <laughs> but living in the culture that we live in actually there are so many options to access vegetarian and vegan food that already exist in these older asian cultures and traditions that we have so can you tell me about some places that you go to for a good, like, meatless meal in Singapore? There are plenty of amazing Indian restaurants yeah. um, that you can go for meatless meals. I'm not very good at names and places because I'll just be, like, walking down the street and I'm like, wow, this looks very interesting. Let's go and eat here. Yeah. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever been to uh, Fortune Center? I heard that it's like a, a heaven for like a haven for all these vegetarian dishes. But I've never been personally. There's this place that sells mushroom noodles. They are okay. really amazing. Mush In Fortune Center. So the sauce is a very thick uh, umami like lots of flavor and all of that are just mushrooms. Oh wow, that sounds amazing. It's super wow. easy. Yeah. I, I, I saw um I saw someone post about this uh what was that? Vegetarian Olua in Fortune Center. And I was like, Whoa. oh my god, that's so interesting. Wow. I wonder what they will replace the oyster element with. Yeah, hmm. no idea, man. But it was 
like when I first came across it, I think it was on Bjorn Shen's um, Instagram, and he said it was his one of his favorite orlocks in Singapore. Oh, yeah. So I I have been super intrigued about that. So, you know, I was wondering what are some tips that you can give our listeners who want to be more environmentally conscious in the local context as an eater or as a cook? I guess you can start first with being very clear about the reasons why you're embarking on this more environmentally sustainable journey. Mm. Uh, If it comes from a space where you are very clear about what the objectives are, um, it gives you a lot more tenacity to get through a habit change because changing habits are difficult. You don't know what emotions are associated with some of your daily routines and when you begin to shake up the habit, then you realize, oh, you know, actually, when I go for coffee at 3 o'clock, it's a break for me out of the office and that is really important to me. So having clarity about that is important. When you are choosing what to eat, um, it can be setting very small achievable targets for yourself that would encourage you rather than um, make you feel very disempowered. So I've gone the route of going cold turkey, like just taking meat out of my diet. And that was a very unhappy season for me. And I found that that didn't work at all. Like swinging all the way to the extreme didn't work. Mm. But what is working well for me is setting really small goals like oh okay maybe every monday i go meatless or maybe i start with not eating red meat first for this period of time maybe i replace the red meat with um, white meat maybe i eat less seafood so find something that is not so painful for yourself to sacrifice and after a while of getting used to that maybe you can introduce another new element so it doesn't feel that too many things are changing all at once Hmm. Yeah, there is also this app that I like. It's called A Billion Veg. Okay, I've come across that one. Yeah, and what's really cool is that you can use A Billion Veg and go and follow other Singaporeans who are on the app and see where are the delicious looking places they are eating at. Hmm. Um, And that's been really encouraging to look at um, all the nice photos of... um, their recommendations and the food that they are eating. Yeah. And what about for, in terms of tapau containers, do you normally carry tapau containers in your bag or like a, a flask? Like for, for, you know, hawkers to fill up your, your containers when you go to the hawker center? Um, I try to think about what my lifestyle is and to set up like, set up the structures to help me. So for example, now I'm working in the office again. So there's a full tapau set in the office. So okay. now I don't have to carry stuff in my bag. And okay. that helps because I won't feel like, oh, I'm going to forget it today. Yeah. So it can be very useful to think about what are the structures that already exist because at workplaces, right, people already have marks. So it's not so difficult to take the mug out to the kopi diam and tell the auntie, hey, you can put my coffee here rather than giving me the plastic bag. Yeah, and how do they normally respond? Do they, you know, do you normally get a lot of weird, like, I mean, weird stares or like um, negative comments from the hawkers? It's gotten much more acceptable. 
And I think what's been really helpful was um, there are many accounts that work on helping um, hawkers understand. So like BYO Bottle, she she's going around explaining to hawkers like, hey, you know, this is what you can do. This is how you can um, onboard. This is what you can do to support um, your customers that might want to be BYO. So it's an issue that got talked about a lot more. Ironically, last year during Circuit Breaker, um, people were running out of um, disposable containers because so many people were buying takeaway. And um, then there was a whole conversation around, hey, actually you can bring your own tingkat when you are taking the food back home. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so, to be honest, I've never tried that. You know, like I've never brought my own containers to the hawker center. Just because I've never seen anyone do it and I never ever had the idea to do it until I came across your account. Um, but yeah, you know, like most of the times I don't carry a takeaway container with me or like a reusable cup. And then when I'm out, say with a friend or with Wax, you know, we come across like a, say, bubble tea stall. And like Wax who is more like, you know, environmentally conscious than I am, he'll be like, no, you can't buy bubble tea because today you didn't bring your reusable cup out. So, you know, like, uh, I, I think maybe carrying the containers around does help because you can never anticipate when you might need it. That's true. Um, so in the beginning, I did have a lot of items in my bag. Mm. That was when I was not uh, working out of an office so much. Yeah. So having all manners of containers really help with contingencies. But I also realized that it made me more careless about the amount of food that I was eating. So I noticed that um, I snack a lot. <laughs> and sometimes without my containers, it just means that, oh, I snack less. And it then makes me wonder like, oh, you know, this moment that I'm trying to step out to buy some buns from the bakery, mm -hmm. am I really hungry? Or am I just frustrated at where I am for this particular piece of work and I just need to step out for some fresh air. Mm. And it's been very helpful in terms of thinking about, hmm, where are my habits driving me unconsciously? And when I take a step back to look at it consciously, what am I learning about myself? Mm. Thank you so much for talking to me. It was really lovely. I really enjoyed talking to you. You're welcome. See you soon. Maybe at home over a meal. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. My guest on this show was Ki Shi Hui. You can find her at Tapao Girl on Instagram to follow her on her zero waste journey. Also, Singapore Noodles is releasing a quarterly food publication called Seasonings, made in collaboration with Huffy. Most Singaporeans have a superficial understanding of festivals that are outside of our own ethnicity. So Seasonings collaborates with Singaporeans to take you inside their homes one season of the year to give you an insider's view to Singapore's festival foods. You can pre-order a copy of our Hari Raya edition through our website sgpnoodles.com. Each purchase goes towards the work that I do at Singapore Noodles, whether it is the testing of recipes or having podcast conversations like the one that you've just heard. And it just helps to make this platform a more sustainable one. Once again, thank you all for your support and I'll catch you all next week.